invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 4. I'll begin reading at verse 18 to the end of the chapter. We're using a pew Bible that can be found on page 56. This has been known to be, in Bible interpretation, a very challenging portion of Scripture. As I read it, you'll understand why, I think. Uh, So this morning, I want to focus just on a few verses, verses 21 to 23, and using the context around it to inform our interpretation of verse 21 to 23. But let us now hear God's word, Exodus chapter 4, beginning at verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So so he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, And that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Thus far the reading of God's holy word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. After Moses encounters the Lord on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, he leaves with God's staff as God commanded him. He then makes preparations to return to Egypt. Moses asks his father-in-law Jethro, let me go back to Egypt and see if my kinsmen are still alive. Is he really going back to see if his kinsmen are still alive? Doesn't he know that they're still alive because he's going there to deliver them? Is Moses communicating to his father-in-law 
a half-truth, not telling the whole truth? Why didn't Moses tell the whole truth? Jethro, my father-in-law, the Lord commanded me to go to, to Egypt. And he's going to use me to deliver the people out of the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. I'm going to be their savior. <laughs> Lowercase us. God visited me. Well, the text really doesn't tell us. Now, there is what's called a Hebraism in the passage. When it says there, and you look in your Bibles at verse 18, when he says, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. That can oftentimes be translated to see, if, see their health. To see their health. But we don't know for certain. But what's interesting here is when he goes back to his father-in-law, he has the courtesy to ask his father-in-law for permission. Did you catch that? He has the courtesy to ask his father-in-law for permission. And then at verses 19 and 20, the Lord said, and here's an interesting thing before we get, I'm giving you some context before we get to 21 to 23. It can be translated, the Lord had said to Moses that it's time to go because those who sought his life are dead. There's a new Pharaoh in power and those who knew Moses and wanted him dead are now dead themselves. Are you getting some like New Testament imagery going on in your head? Anything familiar? Any New Testament references come to mind yet? Well, we'll get there. So with God's staff in hand, Moses set, will set out for Egypt, taking his wife and children. However, it's not known when his wife and children actually go back to Jethro's house. For example, turn with me to chapter 18. Chapter 18, verses 2 and 3. So this is after Jethro hears about all that God has done for Moses. At verse 2, now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So, he brings, he's going to bring his wife and children, but from that time to sometime after the Exodus, his wife and children are sent home by Moses. The Lord had said to Moses, go back to Egypt. And he asked permission from his father-in-law. He takes his wife and children with him. And he said, the Lord says to him, when you go back to Egypt, you shall do the following things. You shall show the signs that I gave you using my staff, the staff of God, for you will be my shepherd, the shepherd of my people. You will be God to Egypt, Pharaoh, and Israel. You will be as God to them. 
In doing so, God reveals to Moses, first of all, as we get to verse 21, we get to verse 21 now, and we read this, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. The Lord, first of all, the Lord reveals his sovereign plan to Moses. He's going to assure Moses, comfort Moses, by revealing to himself, or revealing to Moses, his plan. Go to Pharaoh and show him all the miracles that I have put in your power. Those miracles in chapter 3. For with my staff, with God's staff, you will do these miracles. You will show God's power. God's power will be displayed through Moses. And God says that he will cause Pharaoh's heart to become hardened, unresponsive, obstinate. What? A lot of questions come up in your mind about that one. What's going on here? How can he ask Pharaoh to let my people go and at the same time say, I will harden Pharaoh's heart? What does that do with human responsibility and human will? What do you do with that one, Christian? Ten times in the book of Exodus, we hear the following, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. But you know what? Ten times we hear Pharaoh say, or that Pharaoh will harden his own heart. Pharaoh will harden his own heart. Pharaoh will become obstinate, unresponsive, to the reception of God's word, when God says, let my people go, Pharaoh will close up his heart, harden his heart, and not respond to God's command. So we have ten times, ten times, where Pharaoh will harden his his own heart, and he does so throughout the plagues. But here's an interesting point that needs to be made. Ten times Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Ten times God says he hardens Pharaoh's heart. But we don't hear that God hardens Pharaoh's heart until the sixth plague. Why is that an important point? God reveals his plan. I will harden his heart. He's pointing to the very end, uh, towards the end of the final plagues. Pharaoh is hardening his his heart already. It's already being hardened, and it will be even more hardened during the course of the first five plagues. When sinners, listen carefully, when sinners persist in their sin, they are hardening their sin against God's word and will. They're persisting in rebellion. 
and thus hardening their own hearts. And just like in Romans chapter 1, three times after Paul explains that the, that the people, these, these sinners who exchange the truth for a lie, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, who worship the, create, the creature rather than the creator, who know, who, who know that God exists, but they deny it. Exchanging the truth for a lie. What does God do? He gives them over to their desires and passions. When a sinner persists in sin, they harden their own hearts. God gives them over. In, the, in uh, Hebrews, the author says, and he warns, he warns the, the believers, the Jewish Christians, but exhort one another every day. This is why he says, don't neglect the gathering of the saints. Don't neglect church. Don't neglect the worship life. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And God, according to his divine wisdom, chose to harden Pharaoh's already hardened heart. We harden our own hearts on our own. Does anybody need to harden your heart? We can do that on our own by nature. But God, by his divine wisdom, chose to harden Pharaoh's heart with the purpose of executing judgment upon Pharaoh and Egypt. Pharaoh refuse, will refuse to let the people go. He will give, them, give Pharaoh over to his stubborn, hardened heart, and he will give them over to his judgment. In Paul's teaching to the Romans, in the section chapters 9 through 11, God's wisdom and election and reprobation. Reprobation means a passing over. God elects some and he passes over others. Jacob I loved, Esau I have hated. Jacob I loved covenantally, Esau, Esau, I have not made a covenant with him. And in Romans chapter 9, verses 14 to 20, listen to what Paul says. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, listen to what he says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my, might, my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom, whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever, whoever he wills. You will say then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? 
Paul labors earlier in Romans to speak about man's sin and depravity. Man fell into sin. Man is responsible. Yes, there's a tension between human will, human responsibility, and God's sovereignty. There's a tension, and we don't make light of it. But God in his sovereignty chose to show his power through Pharaoh, who already hardened his heart, his own heart, and God will harden his heart to show his power through Pharaoh by way of judgment. What do we have to say about this? <laughs> this tension? I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. What do we say of this when God says, I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go? Paul says in Romans 11. Listen to how Paul responds. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways. How unsearchable are his judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. In other words, God is great and awesome in might. God is sovereign and he does what he pleases. Man is still responsible. Pharaoh is still responsible. He is still guilty for hardening his own heart and rebelling against God's command. But at the end of the day, God is sovereign. And he will use Pharaoh for his purposes. And think about what a comfort this is and an assurance this is for Moses, who's going into the lion's den. Moses and Aaron are going into the lion's den. And God will reveal his plan to him. This is how it's going to go down, Moses. This is how it's going down. And this gives Moses and Aaron courage and confidence and comfort that when they go, they're go God is going with them. Secondly, the Lord, God, delivers his message. Verse 22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. Yes, Moses is God's messenger, but take note, how does Moses speak to Pharaoh? Or how, I should say, how does Aaron take Moses' words and speak to Pharaoh as if God is speaking to Pharaoh? They don't say to Pharaoh, the Lord says that Israel is his firstborn son. They don't say to Pharaoh, God says to you, let his firstborn son go that, that they may 
worship him, serve him. No, they speak in the first person because when they speak, it's as if God is speaking and God is speaking to them. And what an astonishing claim that God makes about his people. Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Pharaoh, let my son go. Pharaoh, you are not my son. You think you're a, a god or you're a son of a god. But you're no god at all. I am the Lord God. And you're going to let my son go. Let my son go that he may serve me. Because there's a filial a, a relationship between father and son before God the creator and his child, his son. Notice singular, it encapsulates the people of God, the people of faith, Israel. The people of Israel didn't create themselves like a child doesn't, a child doesn't come into existence. A son isn't born by his own will, but is conceived by father and mother and is born. God gave birth to Israel. God brought about Israel, his son. And that father-son relationship is so profound, so comforting. What father, what, what, what good father, good father wouldn't lay down his life for his son and be there for his son. And when his son cries out to you, Father, when a, son, when a child cries out to you, Father, and that child is in need, do you run to your son or daughter? Israel, his son, cried out to him, and God is going to run to his child, run to his son, and he's going to deal with Pharaoh. God brought Israel into existence like a child conceived in the womb and birthed. God chose them to be his son and a holy nation. A nation will be fully formed after the exodus when they enter the land of Canaan. And this sonship of Israel is spiritual in nature. In Deuteronomy, we read this, You are sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You are sons of the Lord, a holy people. It's spiritual in nature. Yes, they become a, an ethnic nation. But the sonship, this filial relationship is spiritual. They are sons of Abraham, children of Abraham by faith. So it's amazing that God would even call them his son. He not only calls, calls them his son, but he calls them his firstborn son. This is the message you shall deliver to the people. Let my son, no, let my firstborn son go. Firstborn, not in terms of order or rank, 
I'm sorry, not in terms of order, but in terms of rank. First in rank, preeminent. Preeminent. First of all, first in rank. Because they are his firstborn son, they will be preeminent among the nations. And by God's grace, they received God's covenant blessings. They received God, God's covenant grace. They received rights and privileges and responsibilities. There was a father-son relationship. And they would inherit the father's blessings. The promised land. Like a good father disciplines and cares for his sons, God is our father who cares for his children and he cares for them deeply and he sees his children, his son, Israel, in bondage, hurting, slaves. And he will go and get them. Dealing first with Pharaoh and then leading them out. Leading them out. God, our Father, doesn't abandon his promises to Israel because he made an oath to their forefathers. An oath to their forefathers, beginning with the covenant given to Abraham, that covenant of grace. I will be your God and you will be my people. From you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The people of faith, the families of faith will be blessed. God delivers his message, let my people go. Let my firstborn son go. Lastly, God issues a dire warning. Verse 23b. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me, go worship me. We talked about this idea of that he may worship me in a previous sermon. And the importance of how God not just, doesn't just save us from our sins, rescue us from our sins, but he rescues us from our sins so that we are free to worship him, give glory to him, praise him. And then at 23b, if you refuse to let him go, my firstborn son, behold, I will kill your firstborn Son. Again, Aaron speaks on behalf of God as Moses gives him the words to say, and he issues the dire warning again. It's in the first per person If you refuse, I will kill your firstborn son. Pharaoh, you will not enslave my people anymore. If you refuse to free my son, your son, who is the heir to your throne, he will die. This points to the last plague, doesn't it? In other words, Pharaoh, don't mess with me right now. Don't mess with with me and don't mess with my firstborn son. When you mess with my firstborn son, 
you deal directly with me. If you are a Christian, you are a son or daughter of the Most High God. And when the powers of evil mess with you, they have to deal with God. When wicked men mess with you, persecute you, they have to deal with God. What are the implications of that in your suffering then? They're pretty profound. The implications of that is profound because vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. You, Christian, don't deal with the vengeance. It's not up to you to slash people with the swords, to take out your double-barrel shotgun and start plugging away people. Our calling as Christians is prayer and praise and witness. God says to others, don't mess with them, otherwise you mess with me. Obey my command or suffer the loss of your own firstborn son who is heir to your throne. The Lord warns the Pharaoh that his own firstborn son, the next in line, who will also then would declare himself a son of the God, or the son of the gods, will be killed. In a sense, God really, like he does with the ten plagues as we'll look at, he's really mocking now Pharaoh. The whole idea, the, the whole idea of the deity of Pharaoh the God-likeness of Pharaoh. And he's going to mock them. True God of heaven and earth will show his great power over all gods and bring them to nothing. He is God, there is no other. And he will accomplish his purposes through the king of Egypt to demonstrate his own power. Again, from Romans 9, that I may show my power in you, Pharaoh. I am the Lord, there is no other. God sits in the heavens and laughs. And he does as he pleases. And he protects his children and frees them. Reminds me of Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. For us who are pessimistic about the current cultural climate and environment and current leaders and presidents and prime ministers and dictators in this world, they will deal with Almighty God. God will deal with them. Be a people of prayer. Pray for your leaders. But it is God who is sovereign. God is, is sovereign. And we need not despair. God will indeed let his firstborn son go. 
congregation of Christ is the gospel or good news in Exodus 4, verses 21 to 23? You better believe it. We better believe it. How? How? Where, where do you see the gospel? If someone were to ask you, where, where's the gospel in this? Where would you go? How would you explain it to them? While Israel was called God's son, the father sent his one and only firstborn preeminent son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is the eternal and natural son of God. Begotten of the Father, not made. Who assumed human flesh. Born of the people of Israel. From the tribe of Judah. Born an Israelite. Who fulfilled all the law and the prophets. Jesus, now listen carefully. Jesus is the true Israelite. Jesus is the true Israelite, the true natural Son of God, who formed a new Israel. And that new Israel is a people who have been purchased by the blood of the Son, Jesus, redeemed from their sins. Redeemed from their sins, your sins, Christian, and set free from the tyranny and bondage of the devil and death. Jesus is the firstborn son who came to rescue his people and form a new Israel. So that the scripture, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, would be fulfilled. Hosea 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. And this reference is used by Matthew. Matthew chapter 2. Verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Sound familiar? Does the narrative sound a little bit familiar? This was spoken. This was spoken to fulfill what the Lord had said by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Jesus is the true, natural Son of God 
who is the true Israelite who fulfilled all God's commandments. He is the righteous one, the perfect Savior, perfect Lord. And because of his death and resurrection from the dead, he made a new Israel, formed a new Israel. And by God's grace, through faith in Jesus, we have become the Israel of God. We are God's son. And the reason why the Bible uses God's son because it has the idea of inheritance. So you could say sons and daughters. But the idea of just son and not sons and daughters has a powerful meaning because sons received an inheritance. Full inheritance, full rights. Which we don't have time to get into. But the idea and purpose is there and meaning is there. That sons and daughters of God have the rights given to them by their Father in heaven, that you have received an eternal inheritance that shall never perish or fade away. Because God is your Father, and you are His son or daughter by way of adoption, having been reconciled to God through the cross, His shed blood. By grace we have been born again by His Spirit, and according to His sovereign plan, He, by his sovereign plan, decided to have mercy upon us and compassion upon us. If this doesn't humble us, friends, this should humble us greatly. I have mercy upon whom I have mercy. I have compassion on whom I have compassion. Oh, Lord, that you should have compassion on me and not leave me in my stubborn, hardened ways. I am no different than any other sinner. No different. God calls us sons and daughters. And he has an incomprehensible love for you. A love that is so profound and rich and deep. And in light of that, in light of that, in light of being called his child, walk as children of God. You are called a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Walk in like manner. And I want to close with this. We are God's sons. Well, this makes Jesus, who is the firstborn son, our elder brother. Our elder brother. Jesus, or the the author of Hebrews writes, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering, So our elder brother, the firstborn son of God, the true Israelite, suffers death for us. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. 
We are God's sons, and Jesus is our elder brother. And Jesus says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Indeed, God, by his sovereign grace, has freed his people. We are free. Christian, we are free. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Turn to Jesus, the firstborn son, and he will set you free. And you will be free indeed. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for sending your Son who assumed human flesh and dwelt among sinful sinful human beings. And that by his precious blood that he shed on the cross, he purchased from every tribe, tongue, and nation a people for himself. We pray, O oh Lord, that the gospel would humble us, that the gospel would move us to righteous living, not looking to our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus. But seeking to work, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. For we have been saved, redeemed, not to serve ourselves, but to serve you in worship and to serve our neighbor, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Oh, Lord God, teach us what it means to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. Teach us what it means that you, oh, Lord, have our back that nothing can separate us from your love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, neither death nor life, neither principalities or powers or rulers of this world or of the present evil age. Nothing can separate us for your love, from your love in Christ our Lord, who is indeed the firstborn Son of God and the firstborn of the dead. In his name we pray.